Hello and welcome back. This episode will air the third part of a Brian Schaefer story. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed the first two parts. And uh, I hope that you also subscribe to my podcast and that you take a look at my Instagram account that I've set up. Uh, there are some interesting pictures there of the case and of Brian and uh, of the building and so forth. So have a look. So uh, basically now at this point, a couple of months have passed and uh, the investigation and the search for Brian Schaefer is uh, sort of a bit stagnant. Nothing has really been retrieved from the searches that the CPD or the Columbus Police Department have conducted. And uh, uh, there is no trace or any kind of lead on Brian's whereabouts whatsoever. So uh, we can bear in mind that uh, Randy Schaefer, his father, contacted some mediums already after five days. So that was sort of a description of the sort of feeling of the scene around uh, his disappearance that uh, there was like nothing happening and no answers and no results. But at least uh, the Columbus police, they uh, have retrieved all the footage from the CCTV cameras. And uh, when they approached the Aglitona Saluna and uh, sort of the Gateway Complex building, uh, they realized that it was Gateway, which is a company, they had their own security team there. And their office was also located inside that building. So they were sort of in charge of the CCTV cameras, of the footage, of this whole uh, arrangement of security around the building. So all the dialogue and the discussions went uh, through the gateway security team. And uh, they retrieved this footage. So all this mystery created in this case around that Brian wasn't seen exiting the building is uh, due to the fact of this uh, camera footage. Because the main point of entrance and point of exit was by the escalators, was using these escalators. And if you didn't sort of exit or enter this way, then something was sort of off. Then it turns out that we have this construction area and that we have this back exit and that some of the staff used this back exit and also the band members used this back exit. So... Uh, when they start looking at the escalator footage, uh, they couldn't identify Brian on this uh, imaging. So they went back and forth, and sort of they even one of the detectives even brought the footage material home at his place and set up a projector at his home and uh, rewatched, uh, so to say, all the footage times and times again. They couldn't identify Brian on this footage. So then they started to theorize if Brian could have changed clothes, for example, if he sort of exited in another manner that he had entered. So they took that into account. But you had some question marks in this footage. Uh, so there was a couple of things that uh, the Columbus Police Department investigated around the footage from the escalators. The first one was the so-called man in the orange sweater 
who actually the police were sort of keen to identify and to speak to because this person had shown sort of an erratic behavior. He had went up and down the escalators like six, seven times. And it looked like he had been looking for someone. And uh, the last time they see him on the footage, on the escalator footage, he was standing right behind Clint and Meredith. This was sort of the first question mark in this footage. And they were keen to get in contact with this guy. And uh, as soon as he found out that they were looking for him, he actually reported himself in to the authorities. And uh, he gave this explanation that was reasonable. He said that uh, he was actually looking for uh, this person who was going to give him a ride home. So that's why he had been uh, looking for this person. He couldn't find him. So he went up and down the escalators and moved around in this manner. So this was the man in the orange sweater. So this was the the first sort of activity on the footage. And then there was also this uh, individual who actually resembled Brian a lot. And he was seen leaving the Aglatona. And uh, then they could trace him outside the bar also, or the building, the gateway building. And... uh, it appeared that he was actually not chased, but there were sort of two people behind him, two men behind him, following his trail uh, for quite a bit. Then the police started to speculate, you know, could this have been Brian and could these two guys have been the perpetrators? So they were actually keen again to find out some more. And uh, they brought together the immediate family of Brian and they showed this footage to Randy and Derek and Alexis, but they completely agreed that this wasn't Brian. This guy hadn't been Brian, and uh, nothing subsequently happened with this. So, in connection to the footage, we also have, uh, after four or five days into the search, we have that the police uh, received a tip uh, from a homeless man that... uh, this homeless man had seen a person who he thought was Brian. He was uh, in a United Dairy store and uh, he had observed this person looking like Brian. He had bought a sandwich and uh, actually this homeless person went up to this individual and asked him like, hey, don't you know that people are looking for you? And then this individual, he sort of didn't reply back and then he had walked away. Uh, So this homeless person contacted the... uh, police and uh, and told them what happened and that he thought that this guy had been Brian and uh, but they were actually able to to check uh, CCTV camera footage and uh, they could sort of verify that this hadn't been Brian either so it wasn't Brian and uh, but it's one of the few sightings of Brian and there was a connection with the CCTV footage and also that time like four or five days into the search there were a lot of uh, uh, missing posters of Brian up in this part of downtown Columbus so they sort of made a conclusion that this homeless guy he, he had seen Brian's face and sort of wanted to so he could have made a connection from there so then the Columbus police started to turn towards these other two cameras that were installed in the building and uh, the first one was located at this hallway and recorded imaging of the hallway and uh, the other one was 
a little bit further down, uh, almost by the exit, but it recorded footage from the uh, trash area. So basically this hallway led you to the back exit and just prior of exiting you had this uh, trash area. So that last camera sort of recorded from the back uh, this imaging of this uh, dumpster and uh, sort of the metal doors that were the exit from the building. So on this footage the uh, Columbus police can see the band leaving and they can sort of see the band uh, loading up their equipment and uh, they can also observe the uh, so-called fans of the band members and uh, also some other friends that uh, tagged along so brian is not on this footage either so now this sort of puzzling questions arise that okay he had to leave somehow so the next step in their mind is to try to locate each and every person that has entered the building and left the building. So they make note of when someone's enter and then they have to verify that this person is also leaving. So they're doing this both with the, with the escalator footage, but also with the hallway and the trash area footage. And they do that for each and every person inside the building. And when they've done that, the only person which is still missing is Brian Schaefer. But uh, this sort of uh, detective quiz took uh, quite a bit of time, actually. Uh, a couple of months to determine that uh, Brian hadn't left the building, basically. Or... At least he wasn't seen exiting the building. Uh, so they turned to, of course, the other footage outside the building. And you had all these uh, small places and shops uh, along this street promenade that had uh, security footage. And you had other places as well along High Street and along other routes that Brian possibly could have taken that night. And... Uh, Everything was sort of checked and by that time Columbus had more cameras than Cincinnati, Cleveland and Toledo combined. So this was sort of a, a big task for the police to undertake to go through all this material. And uh, they also checked the camera that was located at the Wendy's restaurant and uh, the Wendy's restaurant had had two cameras installed. One showed the interior of the restaurant and one showed the exterior of the restaurant. So unfortunately, the one uh, that showed the exterior of the restaurant was broken at this time. So they couldn't retrieve any footage from this exterior camera. So potentially they couldn't verify that Brian could have exited through one of these construction area doors that was in the vicinity of the Wendy's restaurant and there was also a parking lot so it would have been uh, quite valuable information if this camera would have worked to say the least none of the cameras that were inspected from either the security footage provided by the gateway security or 
any other cameras outside the building from other owners and street cameras provided any clue or provided any imaging or footage from uh, Brian that night. So in the beginning, of course, uh, the Columbus Police Department uh, conducted uh, interviews and they interviewed the Agletona Saluna staff and also the band members, but they couldn't provide any useful information, actually. Then they turned to Clint and Meredith, of course, and uh, the two girls, Amber and Brighton. So Amber and Brighton had the ride to the Aglituna Saluna together that evening, and they told that uh, they had never met Brian before. Uh, they had uh, spent most of the time inside the bar chatting with him, and Brian had been uh, sort of very flirtatious with them, especially Brighton, who borrowed Brian's phone and put his number in the phone. And also Brian had sort of suggested to them that he was uh, going to accompany them to the garage where they had parked their car, but uh, this didn't occur. And afterwards, when they say goodbye to him, they leave down with the escalators and, uh, and they in fact go to this garage and they leave whereby they uh, spend the night at uh, Amber's boyfriend's house. So when it was time for Clinton Meredith, they uh, recounted the events that unfolded that evening and uh, that uh, they left at around 2 o'clock and they gave Brian a call but uh, that this call had gone directly to the voicemail and then they uh, stayed outside the entrance area uh, on the street level and waited for him 5-6 more minutes and then they uh, went to the garage and they uh, actually left with Meredith's car. So they said that after that they went to a town nearby of Columbus called uh, Clintonville. And uh, Clint had been uh, house-sitting there for his professor. In the morning after they woke up, Meredith had given her a ride to Clint back to Brian's apartment where Clint had parked his car so they were there at about 10 in the morning and then after that they left in their own vehicle so they also mentioned that they didn't try to contact or call Brian during this time when they were there at the apartment and uh, that on Sunday evening uh, Clint contacts Meredith and tells her that no one has gotten hold of Brian since that night and that something might have happened to him. So after this, uh, Meredith starts to make these phone calls all around different hospitals in the Columbus area to see whether Brian might have ended up there. And, uh, and later on, the police reveals that uh, they had uh, inspected this... Uh, uh, house that Clint was house sitting, this uh, professor house, and uh, they also had forensically searched both Clint's and Meredith's own vehicles. So Randy 
told the detectives that uh, Brian had sort of fallen a little bit behind his studies after his mother has had uh, passed away, but that he had passed this last exams with uh, very good grades and that this had qualified him to continue the education, but also that there was this uh, heritage issue that had stirred up some feelings in the family. Randy had uh, sort of thought that the sons would uh, be getting too much of a share in the inheritance of their mother. So there was a little bit uh, of speculation about what the relationship or how the relationship actually was like between uh, Brian and his dad. So when they looked on this closer, it had seemed quite far more strained than uh, the relationship between Rene and Brian. But uh, according to Randy, perhaps it was a little bit more strained, but he said that Brian and his mom were always closer. And Randy also mentioned that uh, they were talking that night out when they met at the steakhouse and there were no issues, so to say. So uh, right now we are in this uh, situation where the, uh, the Columbus police are trying to get some uh, clarification on what happened to Brian. Uh, the searches have been scaled down to a minimum. They have done all this. They've looked into the gateway building several times over. They knocked on doors in the immediate area. They dived into the river, the Olentangy River. And uh, missing posters with the Brian face are up almost everywhere in downtown Columbus. And also this uh, CCTV footage hasn't provided any further clues. So, uh, of course, if they get a tip, they are on it directly. But uh, there wasn't too much of valuable tips received, actually. Uh, there was one where a couple who went to a restaurant in Michigan, they were sort of convinced that... Uh, uh, the servant had been Brian and also this person had had sort of a name tag and it said Brian S so they were like 100% sure that this was Brian so they contacted the uh, police and also Randy Schaefer got to know about this so he almost took off immediately and he let uh, Laura Davis know about this as well so she was coming along but the state troopers in Michigan, they sort of, um, they uh, preceded him. So they managed to find out that this hadn't been Brian. And uh, the restaurant owner didn't exactly know what they were talking about a little bit. But uh, I think they found this name tag, but it had belonged to somebody else that had been working there previously. And uh, then uh, the police received tip. Uh, that Brian has been sighted in Texas and then also that uh, he he was uh, seen here in Sweden and uh, I've been trying to look more into this and I've actually asked my Swedish audience to you know come forward if someone of you sort of contacted the police in Ohio about this but uh, there seems to have been also a message on some board or an article or that uh, uh, this lady had written that uh, Brian had been her doctor. And uh, 
and that she was living in Sweden. So, so after this, uh, tips are spares and scares, and uh, this reward for finding Brian is also increased. And uh, there were a lot of contributors to this uh, reward. Uh, the state contributed with uh, 5,000, and uh, a physician who had known Rene contributed with uh, 1,000, and uh, Crime Stoppers also contributed with funds for this reward. But then you had this uh, sort of mysterious guy showing up from out of the blue who claimed he was a philanthropist and he actually elevated the uh, the sum of the reward from 25 to 100,000 so he sort of brought up this uh, $75,000 to the table but it was uh, discovered that uh, this guy was actually a fraud basically so he didn't even have this money he just uh, put it up there and uh, Randy Schaefer told that uh, he hoped that this didn't cause any harm or damage to the investigation and to the searches for Brian. But anyways, if you look at it that in that stand view that uh, this reward was uh, $100,000, no valuable or further tips were received, not even with this amount. So there was like uh, basically radio silence out there. So now this uh, situation arises where the Columbus police, they have to start looking a little bit more whether someone in Brian's immediate circle has told everything they know and have been uh, completely truthful. So in this way, they could also verify that the testimonies remain the same or if any detail changes or twists. So they start putting a little bit more pressure on uh, Clint Meredith and Randy Schaefer in particular. And they uh, decide to do this uh, lie detector test. And uh, we have all heard of a lie detector test, uh, also called polygraph. But uh, just for the sake of it, it's an electronic device that uh, is used to find out if a person is telling the truth or if he's lying. And uh, they register several bodily functions. So for example, they control blood pressure, heart rate, breathing, and then there are some sensors that are connected to the skin. So telling the truth is natural for all people, while lying to most people requires some effort. And there is a connection between these bodily functions and the discomfort that the person experiences. So this detector doesn't really reveal lies or truth, but rather the person's reaction of being asked uh, certain unpleasant questions. And they sort of check the nervousness of a person before the test. Um, they ask some control questions that are unrelated. So this cannot be used as evidence in court, but it's uh, sort of widely used. But it's also a mean to check people's goodwill and uh, sort of to assess if uh, people's testimonies are in part true or not. So Randy is the first one out and uh, passes the lie detector test without any delusion. And then Meredith does this test and also she passes this test without delusion. 
So next up, we have Clint Florence. And he sort of refuses completely to take the test. So in order to understand this a little bit more, though, we have to sort of backtrack this uh, story a month or so. So on the 10th of April, this day, the studies would have started again after spring break. And many were hopeful that uh, Brian would have come back. This was a Monday, and uh, they hoped that they could just uh, draw a line over this episode. And there were only a few months left until the end of the semester. And uh, during the summer, the long-awaited internship was going to start at the university's hospital. So Brian had by that time been studying to become a doctor for eight years. So the sentiment was that he wouldn't throw away all this voluntarily. If he was okay, he would show up there at the university campus and this would all be sort of a distant memory. So there was some hope that if you went by an earlier event that occurred in Brian's upbringing, in an earlier period of his life he had uh, run away and he had been away for a week. It had not been a situation with the same major features as this one because Brian had been in contact with his relatives during the week that he had been away. But uh, of course that there were equivalent signs and uh, they were sort of anticipating that this would repeat and happen again that Brian would come back. So his loved ones, including Clint and Meredith, they gather at the campus area and also present were national and local news media that wanted to monitor these events. So students, teachers and staff, they begin to arrive at university. The lesson starts, but uh, no Brian shows up. So on that day, there were two major interviews conducted and uh, Clint was in both of them. So Randy had asked Clint to participate in the interviews because he was Brian's friend and he had been out with him that night. And uh, Clint was sort of a little bit wobbly and indecisive if he was going to do these interviews. But in the end, he, he eventually did it. So he made the first one with uh, Rita Cosby for MSNBC, uh, where he sort of describes the event of that night when they went out and uh, gives a few timelines. But in this particular interview that he made with NBC4, he's not as detailed with the accounts of which bar they visited at what time, but uh, he added a few things. He mentions that Brian was a popular guy, but a bit of a loner, and that Brian likes to meet someone he knows, or he wants to talk to the band. And he's known for wandering off. He liked to just wander off and do his thing. So Clint didn't believe that Brian had had a nervous breakdown that night. And then he says that uh, he was afraid that Brian may have left the bar and that his uh, propensity to run his mouth may have put Brian in a problematic situation that night. And of course he, he had wished that he had stayed, but he didn't think anything of it. So after the first interview with uh, Rita Cosby was aired uh, on television, then Alexis almost passed out after hearing Clint describe Brian as a 
womanizer, basically. And in this second interview with NBC4, Randy was uh, dismayed by Clint's choice of words to describe Brian. So Clint's participation in the interviews certainly happened after a certain pressure from Randy. But uh, it created this annoyance for Randy that sort of would not pass. So until this day, Clint had been involved in trying to find Brian. And he was there in the searches and he helped uh, distribute the flyers about uh, Brian's disappearance. And the police had taken Clint's testimony and they had interviewed him and they had interviewed him several times about that night. But uh, they hadn't, of course, held proper or regular interrogations yet uh, because he wasn't suspected of anything. And there wasn't any evidence linking him to something either. So they had taken his testimony, of course, but... uh, So a couple of days after the interviews, uh, Randy and uh, several other people, they're doing searches in, in an area in the west part of the city. And Clint is helping out. So apparently Randy starts to allegedly starts to insult Clint for what he had said on a camera a few days earlier. And then Randy starts sort of with this tone to accuse Clint that Clint hasn't been totally upfront with that night and the events that occurred that night and that he should come forward with all this information. So after this day Clint's uh, continued involvement is entering sort of a new phase. He distances himself from Brian's case and his relatives, and he hires a lawyer by the name of Neil Rosenberg. So this lawyer instructs Clint not to participate in Brian's case in any way, shape or form, and that all the contacts should go through the lawyer in the future, uh, without any exceptions. So this will sort of lead to people close to Brian becoming more and more suspicious of Clint and his motives both Alexis but uh, also Derek would mention Clint's name in a few interviews they conducted for newspapers amongst others and Alexis' father would mention that the solution to the riddle of of what happened to Brian could be attributed through Clint so if we go back to this polygraph test and Uh, The Columbus Police Department ability to work with Clint now voluntarily has been sort of greatly reduced. So suddenly they have a key witness who has distanced himself almost completely from the investigation and continued cooperation. So now this investigation has stagnated to the point where you don't know what to do. Nothing concrete to do at all. And suddenly you have this situation with Clint, which is also quite differently from what it was initially. So as Clint refuses to take part in this polygraph test, the only thing the police can do is to make this uh, subpoena. So so they are calling Clint and his uh, lawyer to a court. And uh, there there's a grand jury who is supposed to witness Clint, who has to answer five questions that the Columbus police once answered. And uh, the questions would be asked so it was easy enough to answer with a yes or no, basically like a polygraph test. 
So these five questions, they remain sort of unknown in their entirety. But of course, we can speculate on some of the questions. For example, were you behind Brian's disappearance? Or do you know where Brian is? But uh, the day that Clint appears in his court, his lawyer, Neil Rosenberg, negotiates directly with the prosecutor. So the thing goes their way. And ultimately, Clint is allowed to leave the building without any of these questions having to be answered in front of this jury. So you can assume that he basically answered no to all these questions also. Uh, and on that day in June, when Randy takes the polygraph test, he goes out into the media and uh, he sort of uh, talks about this test that he was involved in taking it and why shouldn't he have done it? He has nothing to hide about this test. So it was almost like a pass to Clint in one way. But also this pressure that the police put in this way uh, can seem a little bit staged to perhaps support Randy and his assumptions about Clint. Uh, Because Randy, sure, he had been hanging out with Brian that night and he had dinner with him at the Outback Steakhouse, but that he would be behind his disappearance somehow, no one thought that. So this scenario was sort of created in a sort of a way around this uh, trinity of Clint, Rand and Meredith. That none of them were really behind Brian's disappearance, but they just wanted to verify their testimonies. But uh, Clint's lawyer sort of uh, saw through this. So staying on this uh, trail with uh, Clint and uh, going back in time, Brian and uh, Clint first met at at the workplace of this outlet, the Giuseppe outlet, where they had been colleagues. And then they hit the track for the studies at university, so they had been sharing a room. And uh, Brian was focused on a role as a doctor, specializing in virology while uh, Clint uh, sort of went more for the scientific role as a researcher. But uh, whether they were the best friends at the time of Brian's disappearance is unlikely, given to Clint's reaction overall after that night. And there was one point back in time also when they had been arguing with each other in front of a large group of friends, and it ended up with uh, the gay one each other punch, but uh, they were definitely familiar with each other and, and had spent a lot of time together. They felt uh, comfortable in each other's company and they had created this perfect symbios to match each other's personalities when they were out partying. But if they sort of let go the guard for the moment, there were certainly things that made them annoyed with each other. But uh, the sort of question remains if uh, did Clint have anything to do with Brian's disappearance that night. So summing up that night, uh, this Friday, 31st of March, Clint arrived at Brian's apartment and he parked his car there. Then they do this mandatory bar hopping and uh, after they ended up a few miles away at this arena district, it was a good idea to have Meredith pick them up and take them back to Raglitton and Saluna where they were supposed to finish the evening and uh, we can sort of observe this trio 
riding up the escalators. So you can see that Clint is already quite drunk here. He sort of hangs on the handrails of the escalators while Brian is positioned in the front looking a lot more sober than Clint. So in, inside the bar you get this feeling that uh, Clint is sort of part at the same table for almost exactly 45 minutes that they spend inside the bar. And uh, when this last call is made, this last order is taken and they start uh, lighting up the place. He seems more than happy to just leave and go home. Whilst uh, Brian on the other hand, he moves around more. He mingles with this uh, group of friends that he recognized that were back to Columbus from their studies elsewhere. And he hangs with Amber and Brighton in particular. Uh, but he also walks up to the bar and he orders more drinks. And uh, probably also walks up to the band and uh, sort of swaps a few sentences with them. Even though the band members don't remember anything specific about Brian that night. But there is sort of this fuss inside the bar that uh, Meredith told about. And as I said, it could have been just a drunken thing from Clint or maybe Brian was pissing off Clint, so to say, because he was flirting with his university students. But when we see Brian uh, on the foyer outside the bar, Clint really hadn't nothing to do with this. And he didn't exert any influence on Brian either in the condition that he was in when he sat there inside the bar and was half asleep on that chair. So... And he also didn't have any participation in Brian leaving this area through that uh, construction door exit, through that fake wall exit. This action by Brian that actually was the one who sort of sealed his fate that night. And uh, Clinton Meredith headed for the exit that night and they also called Brian and uh, then they stayed at the entrance of the gateway building and and then they are seen leaving the garage altogether. So there was uh, footage from inside the garage and they can observe that Clint and Meredith sort of left together in Meredith's vehicle. And then they head straight to this professor house. So they have checked this. Uh, they have done these timelines to see whether they deviated somewhere. But uh, there was a there was a sort of a code that Clint had to enter to open the gates of this professor house and they have the time when he did that so they have checked this and they can see that he went they went basically directly straight to this professor house without any deviation elsewhere and the police also checked forensically no anomaly was found basically and also we can assume to some extent that since Meredith participated in this polygraph test Perhaps we can actually assume that Clint should have been automatically exonerated because uh, Clint's and Meredith's movements that night were sort of identical when they entered the bar. So if we sort of can establish that Clint had nothing to do with Brian's disappearance that night, what was this uh, suspicion about Clint? What is this that everyone in Brian's close circle seems to have expected what was Clint going to come forward with and tell about. So Rand assumed that something had happened to Brian. And uh, the least probable thing was that he had run away. So Alexis didn't think that Brian was alive. 
And Derek mentioned that it wasn't entirely inconceivable that Brian could have run away and left everything behind. So Clint was now supposed to come forward and tell us something that that credited everyone's wishes. But in fact, uh, Clint could uh, only accommodate one reasonable option. And this has been speculated over that if Brian had run away of his own accord, he could have confided in Clint about it and made him to promise never to tell anyone about it. In the event that this actually happened, then Clint has kept his word to Brian and has been a very good and loyal companion to him. And he's basically acted according to Brian's wish all these years. So, of course, you would have to believe the theory that Brian actually ran away. Uh, But also that nothing could almost upset Clint's promise to Brian either. Uh, Nothing seems to have dislodged Clint's stance from exposing the secret to the outside world. So maybe, maybe they were the best friends in the world after all. But uh, to put it bluntly, uh, you may have to draw some conclusions. So if you're out partying together, a good companion is expected to make sure that the friends come home in one piece. And absolutely. But uh, Brian was known to wander off. He had done it before, when he had been out with Clint. And he actually did it this evening as well. When Clint looked for Brian at the bar... He called his phone and he waited outside for him. He just assumed that it was business as usual. The situation wasn't alarming enough for him to do everything in his power to immediately sound the alarm when Brian wasn't around anymore. And unfortunately, it was a. It had been Brian that, that had made Clint more insensitive than normal on this matter. So, what about the lawyer and the polygraph test? So Clint suspected that something had happened to Brian. So even after 10 days of searching, all the cards were sort of open and on the table, including actually the possibility of nailing Clint. So when Randy started mouthing with Clint, Clint didn't know better than that he felt than that he felt he needed help to navigate this uh, situation. So but we also have to consider that Clint who was Brian's buddy this night out. He had a career of his own to fulfill and a life to try to make flourish. So when Brian was, so to say, out of the game, either by this horrific deed or tragic accident or or even disappearance by his own free will, there was sort of nothing Clint can do about this. And uh, it could have been that Clint fed Brian and himself also alcohol that night or or he possibly could have given him some pills and then when Brian goes missing you know there could be a civil investigation about this so so the only thing that Clint sort of could have done was only give him more headache than he than he already had and uh, he sort of put the lid on all this he rightly or wrongly pulled the plug so he changed his name and then he left Columbus so this was sort of Clint's action uh, leading into all this and much has been said about Clint in part because of this behavior and uh, and he has been heavily 
reviled for his reluctance to take part in the polygraph test and his refusal to participate. And, and of course, this only created more speculation and confusion. But uh, his role that Friday, I can't find anything that suggests that Clint had anything to do with this. And then you can have your own opinion about whether he should have participated more in the searches or... But uh, factually, there seems like nothing can collaborate that he had anything to do with Brian's disappearance. So, uh, I feel there is uh, quite a bit more to talk about, actually. Uh, This could go on forever, I know, but uh, uh, the plan is to mention the uh, events that occurred after Brian went missing. And uh, basically up to this day. And uh, then also I have a part with the theories. And then after that uh, there is uh, something quite good coming along. So uh, make sure that you follow the pod and please tell a friend. So I'll see you next time. Okay, bye.